Hello, beautiful people. This is the first episode where I'm not just featuring one guest, but two. My guests are Lewis and Kyle, and they are two podcasters who have really impressed me with their drive, determination, and talent. And in this conversation, I get a feel for what it's like to be going through this process of podcasting and self-improvement while in college. I think it's really incredible what they're doing. And like I said, I've been really impressed by them. So I wanted to have them come on the show to explain what they've been up to, how they've been able to do it. I really enjoyed this one. Think you guys will as well. And if you have any thoughts or feedback about the episode, let me know on Twitter at Hey Danny Miranda is the best place to do so. Just so you guys are aware, new episodes coming to you Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I'm so grateful for your attention and thank you for listening from the bottom of my heart. But now let's get to the episode with Lewis and Kyle. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Lewis and Kyle, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Absolutely. Super excited to be here. Hell yeah. So I figured we'd start it off with the story of how you guys met. I feel like that's a great place to jump things off. Who yeah, wants Kyle, to take that one? Jump right into it. Sure. Uh, so actually it starts for me at a basketball game that I didn't want to go to. So Alabama is, uh, we, we both go to the University of Alabama. Um, we're a big football school. We've always been really good at football. Not so much basketball until here recently. Um, but my freshman year of college, um, one of my buddies was like, do you want to go to this basketball game? And I was like, not really. But um, I went anyways. And on every um, chair at like the stadium, there was um, these newspapers that had been printed off. And on the back of one was an advertisement for the Edge Entrepreneurship Center, which was like this brand new $11 million facility that I'd never heard about that was dedicated entirely to um, the support of student entrepreneurs. And I hadn't started any businesses, but my dad's always been an entrepreneur. I've always been interested, um, in the idea of business, you know, constantly reading different things. So I was like, I need to go check this out. Uh, so the next day I drove over there and, um, met with a guy named Josh Sahib. And he told me about something called startup weekend, which was March 3rd, uh, like a couple weeks later. Um, I signed up with him right there. And, uh, again, right before startup weekend, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really want to do this. Like it's uncomfortable. You know, you're supposed to seek discomfort, but it's like finding a million reasons why I shouldn't do it right before. But I, I, I went, I did it. I walked in, I saw Lewis. I, I, uh, sat down and explained my business idea to him. And he was like, Hmm, I think that that's not a great idea. Uh, <laughs> and then I'll let, I'll let Lewis tell the rest of this story. I'm not sure what pieces are missing there, but we competed against each other at Startup Weekend for people who aren't familiar with the format of the event. It's like a weekend long, you come up with the business idea and do all you can to take it to reality within the confines of that weekend and then do a whole presentation of it at the end of the weekend. Kyle, 
believe it or not, as a podcaster, uh, his idea, not a podcaster at the time, was an app for facilitating deep conversations and through like provoking people to think about thoughtful questions in a group of people. Mine was for a e-commerce website solely based on SEO, just like I called it Fat Tails. It was like this ideas for SEO based on long tail keywords, we competed against each other. Kyle ended up winning, uh, but then he, I took some place that was less than Kyle's place, which is all that matters for the story. Um, and then Kyle asked me to hang out later on that week and we got burritos and over dinner, Kyle told me, I guess I was so obnoxious in the first four minutes of our conversation that he would never want to work with me. Uh, not entirely, never explained why he just said, I can never see us working well together. And I probably deserved it. I probably said some stuff that provoked him, but then we ended up working together on a bunch of different projects. Uh, we did a summer Academy through that same facility where we worked on an e-commerce website now defunct called the productivity store.com. And then Kyle joined if anybody's in the market for a domain, reach out to us. Yeah. I think we still own the, the productivity store.com. But, uh, after that summer, I went to Thailand for four months and Kyle pledged a fraternity. So it's kind of really difficult and you, and there wasn't any traction to like keep alive anyway, despite the great domain name. And <laughs> then we reconvened spring of 2020 back at Alabama kind of felt bad about killing our last idea for no good reason besides inconvenient timing. And we're scheming different ways to get started. And then the podcast was born out of that. I don't know if we could keep the story going, but you might have more questions from there. What happened with you reading the four hour work week? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, um, the, when we went and got burritos, I had read the four hour work week and dove very deep into the Tim Ferriss rabbit hole years before um i'd been you know a big fan for a long time i could go back to like 2016 fly bullet fridays in my in my email archives but um so i walked into mo's which is where we got burritos together and he was sitting there reading the four-hour work week with his like back turned or i don't know he like didn't see me and he was just like face deep in in the four-hour work week um and you know, in my in my head, that mental image has been burned into it because it's just such a such a Lewis uh, picture to paint. Gotcha. And so now, how did the podcast come to be? You guys have been friends. You were enemies, then friends. And so, where does the podcast come into the whole equation? Well, to be clear, we were never enemies. I I said that I didn't want to work with him only because I thought that we would be good to be like advisors to each other. And at that point, I thought that we were going to continue working on the ideas that we had been working on at Startup Weekend. So my idea wasn't that good. You know, we should stick (laughs) together. I don't know, but we we were never enemies. Um, what was the question again? We went from enemies to friends, and then the podcast, right? Uh huh. So I, um, basically got a few friends together to have uh like a, a reoccurring lunch where we talked about i don't know i guess like deep stuff i just like to to talk about like the world and like politics and and have an open floor to discuss things like this um so through that we started to invite people to come um we had one with a rabbi we had one with um uh, buddy who I'm, I'm working with today and um and they were great. They were really fantastic, like venues for conversation. But after we were done with it, uh, they were over and gone, and there was no there was no semblance of it left. So we um, we had started doing that a couple times, you know, a month, and then COVID hit, and we were like, well, we can't do that anymore. How could we still do that and record it? Because that was something that we hadn't had. 
Um, and then, you know, from there, it's a pretty clear picture of, of, of your options. It's like, well, you could start a podcast. Um, and, and we had a lot of free time. We assumed that, you know, people in quarantine would be, um, more willing to talk to people on a podcast because everybody was sitting at home. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the origin story. I don't know if Lewis has anything more to add there. So talk about some of the learnings that have taken place over the last year. It's been a huge journey and I'm sure there's a lot to touch on, but what is something that surprised you about the entire journey? I think one thing that was surprising is essentially like how just the willingness of people to say yes to the podcast. Like we started it, it's kind of like over, it was an overkill solution to the problem we were having. Like one problem we were having specifically was just like specific internet entrepreneurs or authors. We read their book, read their blog, used their product and wanted to just like be their friend and talk to them and ask for advice. And we're not getting past, like we're just getting ignored essentially. Uh, and for good reason, like these people are busy and we couldn't uh, empathize with that because we were kind of naive and like younger and we still are young and still are naive, but even more so than we are now, much more so. And so we're like, how can we ever get past this like wall of being ignored? And then it was like five episodes. Like the, we stayed in our personal networks for the first like 10 episodes, partly for like lack of self-confidence, lack of, uh, we wanted to like make sure we were decent at like the tech setup. For example, we didn't want to like have all these mishaps and have been using someone's attention and like waste their time. But once we got past that, you know, literally two to three weeks in the doors have just kind of been, uh, the floodgates have been open. I say we don't have like an extremely high yes conversion for any specific person, but if you gave us like a certain caliber of person, so it's like, if you gave us a list of a hundred names and it's like, I don't, I couldn't guarantee that we could get Mark Cuban on tomorrow, but you know, someone at Mark Cuban's level based on timing and persistence, like I'd be very confident we could get someone on that level. When you say yes, percentage, what, what does that mean exactly? I said, so myself and Kyle, uh, so, so many outbound requests to do interviews, just like, Hey, I love what you do. Usually something hopefully more specific than, yeah, hey, I love what you do. But something along those lines. Uh, would love to interview for my podcast. And then, you know, a couple of other things in that message that communicate that we're legit. And like, we're not just in day one, week one of doing it. Uh, the yes percentage is the percentage of those that come back as yes, relative to the total amounts I send. I don't actually keep track of it. I couldn't tell you the number. Maybe intuitively, it's like 30%. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. What advice would you give to someone who's sending cold outreach? Because that's not just specific to podcasting. Anyone is going to have to send a cold email sometime in their life. So what would you give advice for that person? I think one thing I would recommend, and this is something Kyle brought up to me a week ago, is essentially as many times as you use I is an indicator that your message is bad. So the fewest amount of times you can make it about you as possible. Great. Uh, this is also a pretty generic piece of advice, but you always want to lead with value. Like you don't want to make it something where they would just say, oh, sure. Like you want to structure it where the offer you're making is something they'd want to say like a resounding enthusiastic yes to, not just like, okay, sure. And that's accomplished. I'm sure someone's brought this up on your show before, but like the copywriting framework of ADA, A-I-D-A is something I follow pretty religiously. It's a pretty well-received, easy, easily digestible template for like the human brain understanding an offer and like being captivated to respond to it positively. So the A, you want to catch their attention both in the subject line and the first sentence. And then uh, some line, you know, one or two sentences to make them interested. 
some reason to make them want to do it. So that could be like your social proof element or some desire. testimonial yeah, desire. And then the call to action, hyper-specific, not just like, if you're in, let me know and we'll do it. Just like, if this is something you, like a super specific, tiny, tiny thing, like you're not asking them to say yes to the hour. You're like, if you're interested in learning more, right? Like, or if this is something you consider doing, let me know and I'll provide the details. So you're not asking for like the big thing right off the bat. You're asking for something small and then like proceeding step by step to get them to agree to like the larger ask. That's kind of our framework, assuming it's cold. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and then if it's warm, how does that differ? If it's warm, it's usually pretty easy. If the if it's like, so for example, you introduced us to Dickie Bush uh, when we interviewed him on our show. So we asked you like, you know, what your relationship was with him was and if you're comfortable introducing us to him. And if it's something that they are comfortable with, there's like, yeah, of course. And like, before you even ask them to do it, they already set you up, you know? Mm -hmm. And then if they're like, yeah, I don't know, but like, I would recommend he's really busy, but he processes all of his podcast requests through his agent and I'm willing to give you her email address, you know? And then you can say, just mention that I introduced you and like that increases mm -hmm. your likelihood. But otherwise that's just cold with like the desire being the fact that you're friends with their friends. Have you guys had any moments throughout the process where you've just been like, how is this happening right now? I would say uh, no. I mean, you know, interviewing, it's been a constant sort of like snowball rolling down and at, at every point. And, and this is something that Lewis wrote about actually um, when he was writing about our podcast and what we've done is that it'll take really many years to internalize the value that we're getting from doing the podcast. I would say that, you know, uh, there are a lot of moments where people say yes to coming on the podcast and we'll get really excited. But um, I wouldn't say that any moment was like, this is unbelievable. Like, you know, I can't believe that we're at where we're at. I think that we'll probably look back and be like, wow, I can't believe that we did that. Because mm. you FaceTime me um, a couple of weeks ago. And, I, and the impression that I got was like, you were saying, how is this happening right now? Was that incorrect? On my part? Well, it wasn't like when I FaceTimed you, I was saying like, um, you know, just how incredible it is that the three of us could reach out to anyone potentially and like have, you know, a, a relatively higher chance of speaking to them than most other people. Um, and that that is unbelievable. Because, and that, that is like super, super exciting for the future. Not that, you know, the act like, so I guess that maybe that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And what's been something that you wish you would have done differently over the year of podcasting? I, I really think go for it. You go for it. No, I was kind of formulating it as I was talking. Yeah, I'm me too. Totally honest. Uh, I mean, I wish that we had um figured our our microphone and like the lighting out earlier I and mean, i don't think that that really i think you know the um something that i've been living by like in my head recently is something by jack butcher which is constant imperfect action and it's like as we move through things like iteratively we'll get better and better and there will always be things that you know we could that we're leaving on the table in terms of improvements um like right now I, i'll probably be like 
why did my mic look like this or why did you know what I'm saying? Um, so nothing specifically that I would do differently. I mean, I think that we have talked about before how we could have reached out to bigger names earlier, how we could have been sending out more correspondence, um, like at a higher volume and at a, and like higher acceleration toward more um, bigger names. And that that might be some, that, that would be a piece of advice that I would give to somebody that's starting out is just to like send it and send it all the time hard. Yeah. Anything to add, Lewis? Yeah, I'd say one thing for me, it's less so things about the podcast, but more so like my life broader, just in the same time period of running the podcast. So one thing that just generally, you know, you're working with a partner on a project that requires almost daily uh, back and forth on like some topics. So like you want to be very, very aligned with the person you're working with as far as like how you like working together and if they're doing something that bothers you. And I think my personality for whatever reason is just to not bring things up right away. And like that are like, because they're small things, then eventually like, you know, they stay small for a long time, they accumulate and then it feels like a massive thing and then it creates tension. So I think I'm not as good as I could be about like, as soon as something is bothering me, like saying something about it to Kyle. And one example of how that played out early on is I just felt this like weird stress since I've been the one that like does our editing, for example, and like I'm the one that kind of uploads the episode that like gets on the internet and like whatever, I feel this like weird pressure to like need to be home. And like, I stress about basically maintaining consistency and did not. So I felt like I had to be home for the one time that Kyle was able to record the introduction so that we could edit it and put it, uh, put it out and publish it on time. And like, I think I, that in combination with like stress on like schoolwork and things like that, just like kept me inside my house more than it needed to. And once we brought that up, like once I eventually brought that up, like we made a system to handle it more better. And like, I didn't feel that same way. And like, I went out and started having fun again, but it's like that stress of falling behind the deadline because I needed to coordinate someone else's time, which I didn't want, I don't want to micromanage Kyle. Like we're on the same playing field. Like I don't have that authority to do that. Uh, but not having those systems in place for like managing interpersonal different uh, preferences for doing work led to me like not having as much fun as I could have just like in the rest of my life. And that completely my own fault for not bringing it up and like discussing what was bothering me. So like, that's a very important thing for like making a healthier working relationship with someone you're always going back and forth with. How did you find awareness of that, your own, your own issue there? I'm trying to think like, I'm, I'm probably going to be like making up a story that doesn't exist. But... I think it's just a theme that you have. I mean, it just like Lewis, it takes him something he says is it takes him seven times for you to explain something to him. And on the seventh time, he's like, that's when it'll click. And I think that like, that's the same for things that are bothering him. Like on the seventh time is when he'll be like, oh, that's actually been bothering me. Like, for months, you know what I mean? Is that accurate? I think probably like, so I keep, I have a very consistent journaling habit and you know, sometimes it's the seventh time I've brought it up to myself and it's like, okay, now it's time to do something about it. And it's not like each of those seven times I'm articulating the problem. Clearly it might be, it takes seven times to actually clearly articulate what is the root of the problem. And then once you see it clearly, then it's like, okay, let's bring it up. What does that also, Yeah, go for it. I was just going to say, we have Kyle and I have some sort of like semi occurring, like let's just resolve anything type relationship. Like 
you know, every month or two, or especially on like the academic schedule, like at the end of every semester, we kind of reassess everything just kind of informally together. And so like sometimes just literally getting to that point in time or like Thanksgiving break. And then we have one of those conversations about everything. And like, that's, we kind of dispatch dealing with those things, but ideally we do that throughout the process, but we're going to ask about something else. Journaling. Yeah. Journaling. I'm curious what that journaling practice looks like since you've been doing it for so long. So I've consistently had an inconsistent habit in the sense that I always journal in some respects and kind of always journal throughout the entire day. That makes sense. Like I'm leaving notes to myself in class on like the margins of my notebook, just about what's distracting me because I never pay attention, but I have that. And then I kind of alternate maybe cyclically between doing just the long form pen and paper, always like some sort of gratitude practice in there, some reminder of like something I read that's important to me. Uh, and, and then I, sometimes I'll do like a, a notion type system with like a whole template and there's like a series of 10 questions and you go through that. And I kind of alternate those systems, but I'd say, you know, four out of seven days a week for three years, I've done one of those things. Kyle, do you have any journaling practice yourself? Yeah, I was thinking, I, I figured you're going to ask me that question. I'm much less um, rigorous about it. I would say that I'm, I'm like constantly thinking about the things that I'm interested in and I, I will like have like things float to the top of my mind. And then as soon as it does, I like to write down the idea. So like I have a lot of like short one sentence, like text messages that I'll send to either myself or I just write down in my notes. Like um, I, I send them to Lewis all the time and I'm like, I don't want you to respond to this. I just like am, am leaving a note to myself and don't want to forget it. Um, so I would say that that is sort of my journaling practice um, but I've been writing, I've been doing ship 30 for 30, um, with Dick, shout out Dickie, shout out Cole. Um, and it's been a really good habit to, to have had the last week. I guess it's not a habit yet, but, um, and I've really been enjoying that and I've been using obsidian as a way to take notes. So I would say like note taking and journaling are, are closely related. Um, but like at, from a, um, you know, trying to introspect, I would say that I don't have a good practice of doing that, and I probably should. One of the things that attracted me to your guys' content so much was that you were interviewing all these people, but you were also pursuing improvement within yourselves. And 75 hard was the thing that I was like, oh my God, I just did this too. Um, it transformed my life. I'm curious what type of effect it had for you guys since it's been some time since you completed it. Yeah, I would say if anyone's interested in hearing more about our um, journey, you can go listen to our episode 75 hard with our buddy striker. Um, yeah, I mean, it was very transformative for me. Uh, I would say like, you know, Lewis is sort of like a robot. We like to joke and like, he's really good about that sort of thing. But um, for me, it was huge. I lost 50 pounds. Um, I got into, you know, a completely different state of mind um, throughout the, the process. Um, I, I learned a ton about myself and then phase one was another really good, um, experience, especially like the powerless and being able to like have a direct, um, as Lewis likes to say, like a, a bar for winning the day. And, um, I think that those two things were, were really great. Um, but overall, I mean, I really, you can't really put into words the, um, the effect that it had on the course of my life, probably. What about you, Lewis? 
Yeah, I'll jump in on say the the term I like to call it is a minimum success minimum success criteria. I think it's huge for any interval of life. So like at the beginning of every semester, what is the bare minimum that has to happen this semester to consider it a productive semester? And then on the days I'm feeling extra jazzed and super, super energized, what is the extra stuff I'm going to do? But if I have on my bad days, it's like I can give myself permission to not do those things. And I think the 75 hard and Andy Forsell in general really helped me learn that. So on the 75 hard, if you do those six habits uh, and nothing else, you can chalk up the day as a victory. And then, you know, when the challenge is over, you can develop your own version of that, which is just, you know, maybe writing out your own list of five things and then you keep tally. So like my goal for this year is to, you always got to do it the night before to keep yourself accountable. Uh, but write out your list of things you're going to do the following day, usually just five. And then if you do all five, right, you chalk up the day as a win. So my goal is to like keep that over 300 for the year. So not like every, uh, and not like I even do it on a vacation and then I make it things like that would help me more enjoy the vacation fully. So it's like have my phone off during every meal is like one of the things I would put on the list because that ensures that like what my priorities are that day, I'm living in tune with them. And then sometimes I'll put like an easy thing there on like, so when I was, didn't have my computer, I was like out of town running a marathon or something. I still wanted to like keep the list going. Cause I wanted to, it was the first time I was doing it. And I wanted to like not break a hundred day streak. And I literally just did it. Like, what can I do in a car? It was like, I could add 25 random people on LinkedIn and like, that's kind of turned into like some really random serendipity. So I did that like every day that week I was on that vacation <laughs> and like that led to a lot of really cool connections. And so I still did something important, even though it was tiny and it like kept the habit alive. Uh, so I think those are the big things. And then another really big difference for me for 75 hard, this is a really generic thing. A lot of people in 2021, 2020 are saying, but value of the outdoors forces you to get outside every day. That was amazing. I spent a lot of time indoors in my life and being forced to go outside. Absolutely awesome. The other big thing is just the difference between like, there's just a switch and I'm having a hard time, uh, finding the right words for it, but being like, you're doing something versus like you are absolutely sure you're doing something like, because the consequences of failure in 75 hard are starting back at like day zero. And you're so sure you're not doing that. There's no question in your mind. If you're like, you're doing everything that day, you're like, there's no, maybe I'm doing it. It's like, you're fully, fully committed to it. And so whenever I'm trying to like take on some new habit or like, okay, let's do Wim Hof breathing, right? Let's get into like this whole cold thing. And there's a difference between reading this book, being inspired and being motivated to like do it and then like tapering off after three weeks versus like, how could I structure an accountability program with the same level of seriousness as I had about 75 hard to ensure that no matter what, I still get this in. It's like, that's a really, really helpful like tool in my toolbox of like achievements to like be able to know, okay, do I have the same level of accountability and commitment to whatever this thing is I'm serious about doing that I did with 75 hard? If not, there's a chance I'm going to fail because I'm not fully taking it seriously enough. What, in, what inspired you guys to do this? I mean, you guys are in college, you could do a million other things. Why did you decide to do 75 hard? Well, I definitely coaxed Kyle into doing it. So his answer is peer pressure. Uh, maybe, and like the appeal of the weight loss, because obviously he lost lots of weight and it worked. So and he isn't actually another good story there. But what I... I first found it. So I troll like, despite doing a year of podcasting and interviewing 60 entrepreneurs, I still sometimes go on the internet as if I'm back at square one. And I'm like, how to make money online, right? Just like, <laughs> let's just search Google and see if they can answer my question. Uh, as if I haven't spent a year thinking about more sophisticated answers. And one website I really enjoy is the Fastlane Forum by MJ DeMarco, the author of Unscripted and The Millionaire Fastlane. 
and it's just like this huge sub thread on his website is like everyone on that thread does 75 hard and they weren't a badass and they did it and they're a badass. So it kind of always been, I know you had Joel Runyon on this podcast, like in the early thirties or something. I listened to that episode while in Vegas. It was a great one, but I've been using his impossible list for like three years as like just how I manage my personal goal setting. And I, at one point, just in my freshman year of college or something, saw 75 hard on this forum, always put it on the list as something to do one day. And then kind of like quarantine, everything else. I was like, well, I have like the stars are aligned in the sense that I have nothing to do for at least a hundred days. So let's just cross <laughs> this one off. Yeah. Kyle, is that correct? Peer pressure was the main reason. Yeah. I mean, I thought that he was insane for committing to it. I was like, what are you doing? Like, I, I don't understand this at all. Um, but then I hooked up him and my buddy striker. Like we went on a, on a zoom call and, um, I told Lewis to tell Stryker what he was doing, and and Lewis was like in life. About it. it was like a it was it was like what like, tell me about your life. Yeah, <laughs> and he told him about seventy five hard, and then immediately upon Lewis finishing speaking, Stryker goes, "I'll do it if Kyle does it." And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I I distinctly remember my face just turning bright red and being like. I'm going to have to do this now. Um, and the last time that I felt that was the last time that I lost 50 pounds, actually. I've, I've done it twice in my life. Um, and it was when, so this is the story that Lewis is telling you, the, the saying that I had. Um, when I was in the eighth grade, uh, I like filled out an interest form for cross country. And, um, you know, we were in lunch and... Um, it was time to walk into the cross country meeting. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Like, <laughs> I don't want to commit to that. And my buddy, John Lewis, shout out JL. He was like, yeah, you're not going to do it because you're too fat. And, and so I turned bright red in the same way that I, I felt. It was like the same feeling for the second time. Um, and I and I'd said, yeah, let's do it. And uh, I, I guess the rest is history in terms of of both cross country and seventy five hard. What did that feel like when your buddy turned to you and said, "You're not going to do it because you're fat"? Yeah, I mean, he's you know one of my best friends, so it was, and we had that sort of relationship. So it wasn't like my my feelings were were hurt, but literally physically, like you can feel your face heat up, and like at least for me, and like you know, your blood is boiling, like you turn red, because you know that what someone's saying is true. Mm-hmm. You, you know that it's like a, a good sign that um, like someone's speaking truth to you, and you should probably listen. But it's definitely not easy. Yeah. And that goes to accountability, because JL was, was using accountability in some respect of being right. like, keeping you accountable. And you've since used that with me, in the sense of you came up to me basically at the start of the year or a little bit before the start of the year. And you said, I want to track my workouts and I want to use you as an accountability partner. And my question to you is why did you decide to do that? Uh, well, I've done it before uh, with somebody that I spoke about, buddy Dillenberg. Uh, he's a huge mentor for me and role model. Um, but I, he's really fit. And I did that with him last year and I was actually doing it before 75 hard. So it gave me like a good base to start, uh, 75 hard with. And, um, you know, it's just extremely effective for me for some reason, like knowing that I committed to somebody 
And I said, I'm going to work out this many times for this long. It's just, I don't know what it is about me. I'm just incapable. Well, I'm capable, but you know, it seems like I'm incapable of, of failing just because like I'm very committed to the idea of, of not letting that person down. Um, and you know, one thing that's important is the, the relationship that you're, um, that you are, I guess, like staking as collateral on your decision to work out a lot. And, you know, I, I value my buddy, my relationship with buddy and I, I value my relationship with you. Um, so I, I figured that you were a good person to, um, do this, um, you know, accountability partnership with. This yeah. never really high enough for you to care. Right. Yeah. I never thought about that like that, but, uh, Lewis, what about you? Have you used accountability in any, in any way? Um, that stands out? I'm sure I have. <laughs> um, $5 waking up, that sort of thing. Yeah, I've done a lot. I do very like, I think a lot in terms of intervals. So I've done it a lot on like the scale of a day. Uh, a lot of these I've just, I guess I haven't in, tried to introduce any sufficiently challenging habits recently enough, or I've just done so many of these challenges after the other that I, I've achieved, like ultimately like the goal and like this is something I've learned from the Fountainhead, which is like an Ayn Rand book that I really like. Is your ultimate goal should be like, you know, when you're 50, and there's nothing wrong at all, literally nothing wrong at all with using an accountability partner. It's extremely effective, but and this might just be like a worth worthless aspiration to have. But I think part of being like a fully integrated human and part of 75 hard is like to keep yourself accountable. And back in the day, for sure, like I would text set up things with Kyle. I have an accountability thing right now, actually. Let's just scratch all that. I told my buddy, <laughs> I sent him $69 uh, that I would do a jujitsu class with him this semester. And I haven't done that yet. So what do you think's holding you back? From what? From going to the jujitsu class. Straight up, uh, poor time management, to, like just lost on my plate and just haven't squeezed it in. And just yeah. no fear. the fact that you can still yeah. do it at any point, you know? It, yeah. yeah, it's just not been like a, it's a, it's simply a matter of prioritization. And how do you come and up like with this? contentness with like my other fitness systems. You know, I'm not like in need of like a fitness revitalization. I'm super into calisthenics right now. So like, I don't really need to introduce more chaos into my life. <laughs> and you guys are also into X3, right? What is this X3 about? <laughs> oh God, the X3. Uh, I'm not... I haven't made enough gains with it to definitively say whether or not it's nonsense, but the X three, I mean, I like it for sure. Yeah. Come on. Like, Don't be I afraid want, to endorse something that you enjoy. I want to have gone like follow the program for 12 weeks, compare my body scan results on week 12 to my body scan receipts on week one and be like this definitively made muscle gains versus just being like, I had fun when I use this and I look the exact same at the end of week 12. Like, I'm not here to promote things that had a placebo effect. I'm just too early for it. Like, I have been doing the carnivore it's diet. It's sick. I don't care what weeks. he says. Look, it, no. it's sick. It, it, I'm though, making a good point here. but Okay, keep going. Basically, it's something that I've struggled with a lot in the past that I think is something I've, like, really learned recently is because I try new shit all the time, right? Like, I'm seven days into 75 hard. Kyle, you have to do it with me, right? I'm seven days in. I haven't even finished it. It could be bullshit. It could be a waste of both of our times. And, like, I do that a lot. It's like... Wim Hof breathing, Kyle, you got to do it with me. And then it's like, I quit 10 days in, he quits 10 days in, I wasted both of our time. And I was reading the carnivore code, which is like another new bullshit thing I'm about to fully devote myself to, like a brand new dramatic way of living. I'm going to 
swap out every way of being to accommodate all of a sudden. And the book's like, try doing this for 90 days before telling anyone they need to do it with you. And it's like, maybe never tell anyone. It's like such a simple idea. It's like, if you actually follow it correctly and it actually works for you and like you have pronounced benefits from it, people will come to you to want to learn more about it. So that's why I'm just like hesitant to promote the X3. But that being said, the X3 is totally awesome. <laughs> a, uh, resistance bands, weightlifting system at home. You, it leverages the principle of variable resistance, which if you think about the two words in a literal context, it tells you exactly what it is. So throughout the range basically of motion, the idea it's more yeah. difficult to lift. Kyle wants, yeah, yeah. Basically, the idea it, is that through different ranges of motion, you can push different uh, amounts of force. And so you can only bench press as much as you can move in your weakest range of motion. Which is right and thus you're, desk, you're leaving a lot on the table um, in those other ranges of motion. And this is the solution to that where the variable or, or where the resistance varies, changes through the movement. So that in the in your weakest ranges of motion, you're moving relatively less weight, and in your strongest ranges of motion, you are moving more weight, dramatically um, more, dramatically more. And um, yeah, we've been doing it for a few weeks now together, and uh, you know, yeah, in terms of like I am huge now. That's just not true, but I do enjoy it, and I and I think that it's uh, it's really awesome, specifically being able to um, deadlift in you know your bedroom is huge it's really cool well i think that it's so important for any type of fitness to find things that you enjoy doing and it sounds like that's the case for you at least kyle i don't know about you lewis we'll have to see <laughs> if the body scan results are conclusive but you know back to lewis and and that idea of you know you start something and you want to tell everyone about it like, where do you think that comes from? I think it's just like genuine excitement and curiosity and being like a happy, high energy person and just like wanting to share something cool. It's like, you now I make a good steak, right? Like a really good steak. And I'm like, y'all got to come here and try this, right? Like tell my roommates, like let me, literally cut up a slice, like give them a little sampling plate, clean fork and be like, have some of this. I think that's just like a very intrinsic human desire to share things we think will improve other people's life, either in like a just this moment, you'll enjoy eating this fantastic ribeye I just prepared or in like the scale of like, you just see that like if Kyle was out of shape and I'm like, hey, I'm doing this thing and I think it'll get you in shape and you'd be happy if you're in shape because I'm in shape and I love being in shape. And like, it's kind of just that and like wanting to share. But people take you less and less seriously in proportion to how often you recommend things you don't personally stick with. Like the boy who cried wolf, you know? Yeah. Or the boy who celebrated wolf. And then like the wolf ended up being like a sham, you know, he's like hyping up the wolf and then the wolf like shows up and he's like tiny. I don't know. <laughs> Point being, yeah. I just don't, I used to just don't want to be a hype man. I don't want to overhype things that I haven't fully determined or worth the hype. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Lewis, one thing I want to talk to you about was the note card system you created. Yeah. I don't know if you created it or or you found it somewhere, but how did you get the idea to do this? So it's always, everything's always a combination of multiple influences. Like I think the word for that is eclectic, uh, just like drawing inspiration from multiple sources. One thing I did during the 75 hard, not to make this whole thing about that, I, I promise that was interesting <laughs> in some respects before the challenge. Uh, 
was trying to make it as simple as possible to keep track of the six things. Uh, so I just started, I made like a note card with columns, rows and columns for like, you know, seven days, six things, check it off. And then every week make a fresh one. And then around the same time. So like, I just was carrying that card around with me and I liked the simplicity of it. Then around the same time I was coming up on the end of the challenge, I was like frantically thinking, what am I, I don't want to keep doing this challenge forever, but what am I, what do I want to keep from it? And how do I restructure my life to keep all the good without like the inconvenient stuff? Cause I personally don't think you have to exercise 90 minutes a day. Like, I'm like, I just want to do 10 minute X3 workouts that use science and other fancy nonsense. And I don't need the other 80 minutes, but then the other side of it is just like reading books, like the miracle morning and like being into the whole world of like affirmations and then like reading books, like the daily stoic and being into the whole idea of like frequently reminding yourself wisdom and then Readwise, shout out Tristan Homsey and Dan, the other guy from Readwise. Uh, if you're familiar with that app, it like synchronizes all of your highlights from books uh, into one central platform. And so I had the habit for like two years of just going in that every day and reviewing 10 of my highlights from books I was reading. Uh, but the problem with that system is you're you know, submitting some autonomy to whatever algorithm decides what surfaces. And those were also lessons in not my own words, they are lessons in just the quote of the book. So it doesn't resonate the same way as something that you'd written yourself. And then, you know, when Rome was becoming a thing, I was super, super into Rome. And like, I read every book that Kano said you had to read. So I read how to take smart notes by Sanke Ahrens. Like I wrote a whole paper about it. And that book really, really, really emphasized the importance of writing things down in your own words. So I started to do that. So this was basically a way to emulate the daily review cadence of Readwise but be able to control what services and do it in my own words. So now it's just like a system for those on YouTube of just like note cards of, uh, oh, this is, this is funny. Dick, this is one from that Dickie tweeted. Does this make the boat go faster? So it's just like an idea that I want to revisit on a periodic basis. Uh, and if it writes down and it resonates and like, also my, if I'm ever needing to write and like, I'm short on ideas, there's like surely something in here Then I can also structure it where there's like, you know, the ones I want to review every day are just like this separate one. And then the ones I want to have like some degree of randomness, just like <laughs> take a little bit off the top, choose like, ah, oh, this much today. So I get to see everything I want to see within the course of a week. So it's a really powerful system for reminding myself of any idea I think is interesting or worth being reminded of. Do any of them contradict each other? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Are you Any yes. come to mind off the top of your head? Yes. So I have one in there that says, it's hilarious. Uh, shout out single women out there listening to the Danny Miranda podcast. I have one that's like, don't use dating apps. And then it says like, then I like had a period where I was staying home all the time. And I was like, well, nothing's going to happen if I don't use dating apps. So then I wrote like after COVID, like in parentheses. <laughs> and then I like met a girl in real life. And like, that was a thing for a few months. So I was like, yeah, the dating app thing, that's stupid again. Then like that fizzled. So then I was like, hopeless again and then i like read like some cal newport that was like dating apps are terrible and then i wrote an atomic essay about how awful they are it's like that what i'm periodically destroying making qualifications for rewriting because then there's a lot of them in there about like the whole ethos of digital minimalism that's like you know the best things in life are uh or there's this line from the, the almanac of Nepal ravikant that's like no exceptions less screens more happiness so i like see that and i'm like no dating apps and then another one is like you've been single too long, like chill with the stupid rules, use a dating app. So that's <laughs> yeah. like a pretty, that, there's some contradictions for that one for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the honesty and forthrightness 
Kyle, do you use any of these no card systems? Yeah, I tried it for a little while. I just found I just found like myself not reviewing them, you know. Um, yeah. So no, I don't. And I, mean, I think that there are a bunch of ideas worth revisiting, and um, I probably should just like journaling have a a more uh, scheduled routine of revisiting different ideas. But I I don't know, just no, I don't. Yeah. I don't either, but it sounds interesting. And it only works, right, if you can stick to it and it's enjoyable for you to stick to. Yeah, like I think we that's saying. an important thing is just like like Lewis is saying, having it in your own words, but also having it be your system makes it much more likely that you follow it and that it's successful for you. Um, and I think that applies broadly. Yeah, so along the same lines of what I was asking Lewis, which, which was about the what he's changed his mind on or or what two nil cards disagree with each other what have you changed your mind on in the past six months or the past year well a year ago i was pretty vegan so now i'm now i'm a carnivore so that's one for the record books um that one like i'm trying to think if there is anything this super is a question that i love to ask but it's so hard to answer yeah. one thing this is like my go-to and i've articulated this in a couple of different blog posts but just the like approachability of entrepreneurs. I think like the value of the podcasts that like the three of us work on creating is demystifying. This is not something that like, I believe strongly. It was just like an unproductive, like belief formed by like being naive and like not being exposed to like the actual reality. Uh, But the, the media just presents entrepreneurship in such like an unproductive way where Anytime an entrepreneur is successful, it's because they had a brilliant idea, because they were a genius, because they set out from the starting line, exactly knew what the end product would look like because they, you know, I'm all for visualization and affirmations and all that stuff. But like, it's hardly ever people like they visualize the outcome, but they're perfectly ready to like accept the pivots along the way that got them there. And I think I kind of just had those unquestioned assumptions. It's like, yep, successful people, like because of habits out of reach, because of traits out of reach, because of like knowledge I don't have. And now like the, the, through the process and like understanding people and speaking with so, so many of these people myself and like actually being able to relate to them and see them as humans has like increased my belief in some level of deterministic success, like not relying on external factors, like how you're born or being like lucky or things like that. What about you, Cal? Yeah. You know, of course I've been thinking about an answer uh, and, I, and this is just something I want to say. I don't know if it's necessarily, I think it's something that's self-evident once you hear it, but it's something that I, you know, personally it's, it, um, have struggled with and it comes back to the constant imperfect action. And that's such a good, um, like way to, um, encapsulate what I'm saying. But like just for a long time, I was like, I guess paralyzed or like, uh, what's the word for it? Um, analysis by paralysis, just like with everything. It's like, you know, I could send this message. I could send this DM, but maybe if, you know, maybe I need to know a little bit more about decentralized finance before I send this message. Or maybe I, you know, maybe if I wait a week, like maybe that's when it'll be the right time. And it's just like always optimizing for right now. And I think that one thing that, um, like fits nicely into this is the idea that, um, relationships are like a muscle. And so, um, basically like you shouldn't not communicate with people cause you think that, you know, they're busy or whatever, like relationships are like a muscle and you have to use them or they'll atrophy, 
You have to be in contact with people. And it comes back to the idea of, um, you know, constantly imperfect action because, you know, your messages will, will always have typos. You're all, you'll always, you know, leave things on the table. You're always risking sounding dumb and maybe you are. Um, but I think that, you know, always sending the message, no matter what next week might look like is something that, um, maybe like it's self-evident and makes sense, but it's something that I want to, um, remind myself, um, all the time. And, and it's something that has recently entered into my, um, you know, way of being. Yeah. How did, how did you get better at that? I mean, just like hitting the send button and like, um, you know, hitting the, the tweet button or like, uh, you know, I think one part of it is urgency. And like, maybe I stress Kyle out. I'm like, Kyle, we uh, have to, this guy canceled and we have to publish an interview eight days from now. And so mm. that, you know, he's like, well, I got to send the messages. Like, who cares if they're good? Like, we got to find someone. It's like, you don't have the time to overthink because you just have to. Like, so like legitimate yeah. scarcity. Definitely urgency uh, is one thing that helps. Um, but really, I mean, it, it just comes down to the moment of, you know, deciding that you're going to send the message, you know? Yeah. This is never, it might be. It's never been an issue for me. So it fascinates me. What do you think is holding you back from sending you the message? Yeah. Uh, I think it's basically like the scarcity mindset sort of thing that we talked about with K high on, on one of our most recent episodes. It's just like the idea that, um, you know, people are experts and, they don't want to communicate with me because they've got more important things to do and, and like more important people to talk to. And, um, you know, I don't know enough about this to hold a, a good conversation with them. So I need to learn, um, enough about who they are and about their topic before I, um, can, before it's appropriate that I reach out to them. You know, it's like, well, I haven't looked at, uh, it's like, I don't understand the fundamentals of how their business works. So I shouldn't be reaching out to them in order to, um, you know, record a podcast. And it's like the opposite. Like you need to create the urgency of an interview that's going to happen in order to give you the incentive to, um, to research and, and find out uh, about the fundamentals of their business model, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Lewis, has that been an issue for you at all? Or is that something that has been easier? I say 98% of the time, no issue whatsoever. Uh, so like I said, you know, an hour ago about like, it wasn't an hour ago, poor sense of time, but it's like, if you ask me to interview Mark Cuban, I'm like, I'm not confident I could make that happen, but someone at that level. So I could probably like reach out to, you know, every billionaire and one of them would say yes. Right. And so for me, like when we started the podcast, there are very specific people in mind. Like we, before we started recording, we were talking about the third door by Alex Benayan. And like, I don't fear hearing no from a person who like, I haven't been emotionally committed to getting on the podcast for since day one. So it's like, someone tells me to read a book. I'm like, it's a good book. I'll read it. And I'll send the author a message, like no hesitation next day after finishing the book. But if it's like, there's no fear, it's kind of like, there's no buildup. So there's no fear, but for like two people specifically, I know this one <laughs> cause you want me to say it uh, for Nat Eliason and for Alex Benayan, like people that just have been on the day one list where I'm like, if they say no, that's like we some weird emotional connection of like we started the podcast for people like them to say yes. 
that there's a hesitancy and like a don't want, like you fear the no from that specific person, but not from like, I don't know, maybe it's irrational, but. That's your 10 out of 10. It's not irrational. Like that in your mind, like that's a, a girl who's a 10 is what I'm saying. That's the connection I'm making in, sure. in this ecosystem. Yeah. That's Matt, what you're, you're a 10, dude. <laughs> yeah, 10, exactly. It, the wise, wise, not Eliasson. Yeah, no, but I understand it. But how how do you get around that? Like, what are you going to do about it? Uh, Delay forever? <laughs> uh, kind of like, I think if I had to describe the strategy, it would be to defer asking until there's no way they'd say no. Mm. Is like, that's just a very difficult place to reach for these people. But, you know, we've had like, if we've had their best friend, their wife, their <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's like if we're at a point where it's like clearly value add in their favor, like it's like if we're getting a million downloads, which we're not, but like if we ever got to that point, they're not going to say no because that's like a clear value add to them. So I guess that's like the way I've deferred it is like waiting for the show growth to catch up to like it being stupid. Like no one says no to Joe Rogan, right? Because like, the boost to their career is too worthwhile for them to say no. So like if we were clearly like if every episode meant an author got 10,000 extra books purchased, then I'm gonna reach out to like any author with serious confidence. Yeah. But it's interesting. And so you plan on, on not reaching out to those two people for a long, long time. Like I'm, I'm salivating at the idea of, of listening to either one of them on your podcast. Oh, now the listeners are demanding it. So, uh, Maybe. And maybe also, here's another really good excuse. Uh, holding <laughs> out for maybe, maybe, you know, holding out till Kyle and I get our in-person interview infrastructure in place and save it for the day where we can fly to Austin and hang out with Nat or fly, save it for the day where we can, I don't know where Alex lives, Los Angeles and hang out with Alex for the day and do the podcast. So we're going to hold out for that too. Yeah. That's full a experience. Okay, that, I'll uh, I'll let that That's one a good slide for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but finally, I want to talk about you know you guys are doing something in college, starting this podcast, improving yourselves, putting yourselves out there. Something that I'd never considered doing, and I think you guys know a lot more than the average college kid. So, what's something you would like the average college student to know um, and tell the rest of the world? And I'd love to just get your perspective on that. I have so much to say here. So maybe I'll just ramble. And then when I, when I've hit my acceptable amount of time, you just switch over. Well, I don't, I don't have much to say. Um, you know, I don't think that I am better than any average college student. I think that like there are, you know, trade-offs and uh, it's like being, uh, an, an average college student has its own merits. And like, I think that, you know, adding a bunch of stuff on top, like I consider all the time, like if I only focused on school for, uh, the entire four years of school, like would the value that I got out of that be marginally higher than doing a podcast and doing all these things. So it's like, you know, every, everybody, um, is different, but I think that, um, one piece of advice that I would give to college students is just the idea of it's like Elliot Bisnell. Uh, he's like a really big character in the third door, 
but he um, was did this interview with Craig Clemens where he described how he was on a college campus and everybody was walking in one direction. Everybody was going to class at the, you know, the great hall or whatever. And he just had this moment where he was like, I'm a zombie. And then he turned around, he turned around and walked the other direction. And it's like, you know, I would just encourage everybody to, um, to look left, to, uh, to consider the alternative. Um, and, and that's pretty much my big piece of advice. I love it. Lewis. Mine's just kind of a message of optimism and like, it's so chill to like, it's just so socially acceptable to have negative views of like the entire world. it's like, why does this matter? The planet's going to die. Like, why should I care? Like all capitalism is evil. Just like these broad beliefs that like holding them makes you live your life in a worse way. And just like people don't recognize college students, especially like, people don't spend enough time thinking about how incredible the modern world is. And I think college students, especially like the university system, the mainstream media, like all of our sources of input just want to tell us how terrible X, Y, Z things are and don't want to remind us of like all the things that are amazing. Like there's a ton of like basic examples, right? Like declining infant mortality, but it's just the things that are possible for any person. I call it like the amount of friction required to manifest any idea is virtually zero. So like the, if you want to learn anything, right? Like there's an amazing resource to learn that thing. Literally, if you like have an idea in your head, like you could have someone 3D print your exact vision of an object instantly. And like, this applies to every single field. Like if you want to be an artist, you can like, even just this like very, 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 it's like a little reductionist way of thinking, but basic things like a computer, if you like drawing, right? Like your computer is an infinite canvas. Like you can get a stylus and like draw on it infinity. Like it doesn't matter what your creative interests are, but like anything is possible in this day and age. And people are just focused on like what's wrong with the world. And that doesn't necessarily make you a happier person. Uh, then the other thing is not like to think about death, but think about death a little bit. That's cool. But this is something that we think about a lot is just do, people don't take their life seriously enough. Like, you know, just the finitude of your life, it's going to end. And like, you only get one shot. That's all we know for sure. At least is what we're here. So it's like, don't just kind of laugh off uh, life, just like make plans to pursue your highest version. Right. And like, think about it. Uh, don't just laugh. And Kyle and I really get into some kids when they like self deprecate and like celebrate their weaknesses as if it's funny to have those weaknesses. And like, that's going to, not that's not ideal like to kyle has a better like counter argument to that than i do but don't celebrate like oh, i'm so bad at math ha 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 like stop doing that would be like my other piece of advice i love it but i'm also curious what's the counter argument kyle? i have no idea not what he's talking about <laughs> no it's not counter argument he explains just a better explanation like what to do instead not not the counter arguments, but oh well, I mean, saying, I'm so I got oh now. yeah. This is another piece of advice what that I think is, that I think is good, um, and that is to have a direction. Like when somebody asks you about yourself, to always be able to articulate um, directly and clearly, sort of like the direction in which you're going, and never say um, that you don't know. And you're like, you know, I'm just like a lost bird. Well, it's like I I just think that. You know, if you, you, 
open yourself to a ton of serendipity when you're able to communicate directly what it is that you are both interested in and think that you're going to do in the future, even if that isn't true, because it shortens the feedback loops to um, like closed doors. So like you, um, you know, I'm super interested in real estate. Like I'm just going to tell everybody that asked me the question of what I'm interested in, in that, that it's real estate. And, um, you know, they're like, oh, well, you should talk to Bob and, and John and, and Jim because all and of them are like 10,000 apartment units. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, you open yourself to, up to a lot of serendipity by being able to directly communicate what you actually are interested in. Um, and I would encourage people to, um, you know, to make it up like whatever, whatever it might be, um, because otherwise you're closing yourself off to a lot of interesting opportunities. And you can even say with confidence, I'm going on a journey of self-discovery, maybe like not that foo-foo sounding, but like, yeah, I don't, I'm taking the next six months to explore all of these things I'm interested in. Some of those are X, Y, Z. Some of the things I might be interested in are this life coach, Jim, right? Yeah, exactly. Or you got to read the book. You got to read the book. Right, exactly. Help you find, you know, well, this is not laughing about your weaknesses. Yeah, I'm totally on the same page with you guys about that. What, let's stay on the topic of, of finding your path. What would advice would you give to someone who's completely lost other than just pick something? Well, I think one thing that Kyle and I, one thing I'd say we changed our minds about is the idea of discovering your niche over time. So not just like every online creator is like, you got to have your niche and act as if you're going to on day one, know exactly what you're going to be fired up to talk about for the next 10 years. Uh, Just basically expecting there to never be the answer on day zero of what your passion is. So like it's in the process of trying things that you decide what resonates like, yeah, we can't know. We then we, you commit like you did, Danny, right? To like, I'm going to do this. You don't. You didn't know that you're going to love podcasting, right? And I don't know that I'm going to love or hate jujitsu when I go and do it. But like, when you say something like that, you one, you just try a lot of stuff, and then you have to set up a minimum commitment to have given it a fair shot. Yeah, we recorded a podcast with Jeff Woods, who runs the company that is derived from the book The One Thing. And, um, you know, basically I told him that I want to be in real estate. I want to buy apartment complexes. And he was like, just like, you know, I know that that's going to change. Like, it's like, you're too young, but it's good that you have an idea and a direction. And like, I don't want to give people that give advice, people that are, you know, quote unquote lost, because I don't think that I don't like, I don't know that I'm found or anything. I, you know, I think it's like that idea of constant and perfect action coming back to it constantly and just being willing to, to put yourself out there. You know, I think like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of loneliness. And I think that that is a a root of a lot of problems, um, in terms of being lost and that just like finding people to have fun with and, uh, that's really powerful in terms of, um, you know, putting you on a direction and on that vector, you will find things that interest you. So you bring up loneliness. How do we solve loneliness? Well, being dating around apps. other people, dating apps, right. Um, 
It's a hard question, dude. I think it's a really, really big problem. Um, and I think that it's only accelerated by um, social media and COVID and quarantine and all these different, um, you know, negative factors. But, um, you know, I don't want to want to harp on it. It's just I think that it's a, you know, it's a personal choice, too. And it's like deciding that you're going to go out and find people. Lewis, any thoughts on solving loneliness? A huge so national, many, international yeah, epidemic. Right? Yeah, let's solve it right here. Solve we it got right it. here. Totally. <laughs> well, I think there's an easy solution. No, uh, I think that with loneliness, like there's so many types of loneliness. It's like, are you someone who's literally afraid to talk to a stranger? Or mm-hmm. like, like you've never introduced point. yourself to anyone ever? Or it's like you say no to social invitations just because you like would prefer to stay home and like do nothing. Uh, there's like whole very like varied places on that spectrum. I think one thing everyone has some degree, like there's this novelism that's like, you know, read what you love to read until you love to read. So like you start out reading basic shitty pop nonfiction or like you read about vampires cause that's, you're interested in vampires. And eventually you get bored cause all your books are about vampires. And then you like actually want to engage with something more interesting and substantive. So I think you could apply that same like frame of thinking to socialization. It's like you find a group of common interest on the internet for that thing. It's like, you just, I'm sure like, you're not even talking about, like, it's not about making friends. It's just about like finding those other 10,000 people on like a pocket of the internet who care about zombies. Then you like go to the zombie fanatic meetup and like, you just talk about zombies with people from that. And like, you get on the community calls and like all of a sudden you learn how to make friends. I don't know if like that progression made sense, but you start like everyone has some intellectual curiosity about something. It could be like, you know, a lot of kids like Jewish fraternity guys, like they all love the NBA. I don't get it. They all just love the NBA. Like if you're a Jewish fraternity guy, just like go onto the Facebook group for like the people chat, chat about it. And like eventually have a phone call with someone, eventually meet someone in real life. And like, you'll learn interpersonal skills, just get involved in stuff. There's a lot of books about like developing a leisure life and just joining existing communities people feel this pressure to build everything from scratch in their lives when it's just easier to plug into things that already exist so I like, like crossfit that. just like start doing crossfit that'll like solve all your loneliness probably mm-hmm. might break your joints but like just start doing crossfit or i don't even do crossfit <laughs> um i think it's it's a really good point and i want to add to it just about the importance of looking at your consumption behavior like a lot of I certainly didn't spend any time listening to myself or listening to what I was paying attention to on a daily basis. If I did, I would have said, "Wow, you spend a lot of time listening and watching podcasts." You know, maybe there's something there. But it's like finding that and finding those things. Looking at your past purchases on Amazon. Look at the random stuff you consume. Is how I think about it. And I love those two answers, guys. All right, so this has been a lot of fun. This has been a great time, and. Where can people find more from you guys? I think the recommended place to go, since you're already on somewhere listening to a podcast, the best place to find us would be our podcast, The Lewis and Kyle Show. Uh, Hopefully, Daniel will have our name spelled correctly in this description. So just look it up there. It's L-O-U-I-S. Yep. So we should put Kyle's name first, maybe, because (laughs) of easier to spell, more ubiquitous but we're Lewis and Kyle.com, the Lewis and Kyle show on all your on your podcast yeah. players on YouTube 
We're everywhere. Just hit the Google. We'll 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 show up on Twitter. On I'm Tinder, underscore on Kyle day, Bishop. Yeah. Lewis is Shulman Lewis or Lewis Shulman, one of the two. You'll find us. Uh, Danny, we greatly appreciate it. We're big fans of you, big fans of what you're building. And I can't wait to have a front row seat to uh, the big stadium in-person interview with Gary V one day. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure having you guys on as part of the first 100. And uh, I'm excited to see how this journey unfolds for both of us. Thank you for coming on, guys. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much, Danny. Hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Lewis and Kyle. If you have any thoughts or feedback about the episode, let me know on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda. Looking forward to hearing from you and appreciative of you listening until the final seconds. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.